All right, we're going to take a look uh, at back in Matthew chapter 5, so I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go there. We've been in Matthew chapter 5 for a while, and uh, we're just going to keep hanging out here for a bit. Um, last week, we began this section, starting in verse 27, going through verse 30, about adultery, which was uh, interesting that that fell on Valentine's Day, you know? Um and, uh, and even though we weren't here in person, I hope you all had the opportunity to watch that message on Facebook. Uh, it was kind of neat getting to adapt, right? Pastor Dwight led music from his house, and then we switched over to my house. I felt like we were some kind of, you know, news correspondence, you know, thing that we had going on. And, uh, um, but it was, it was really, really interesting. And, and technology is such a cool thing. And we've actually adapted a lot during this year of pandemic, haven't we? We've learned many things. Uh, Pastor Dwight's been on the computer way more than he wants to for school. Am I right, Pastor Dwight? Um, it's been a little rough on, in some ways, but, but also it's kind of cool how God has expanded the opportunity for the gospel through those things as well. Uh, because I know every week we have people watch these things who aren't necessarily a part of our church, and, and here you are. And so we welcome those of you who are watching online as well as those who are here in person this morning. And, um, and let's go ahead and read this passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Here's what the word says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. This is the word of the Lord. Can we give God praise for his word this morning? <laughs> I imagine there are some people who are saying, I don't know if this is one I want to praise the Lord about today. This is, uh, this is this, some pretty harsh words that Jesus says here, but they're really important for us. So I want to paint a picture um, as we move into really examining this passage today. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous Welsh preacher, clarified in a sermon that he once preached on the gospel of the kingdom that many people in the evangelical move movement have a skewed vision of what the gospel truly is. He said that it seems like many, if not most, Western Christians think of the gospel as a merely personal thing. It's, uh, it's something that has helped them. Perhaps it's made them feel better about their life, made them feel happier. But Lloyd-Jones points out that while this is true, the gospel does give us some sense of, of personal satisfaction and, and, and freedom. And those are good things. It does make us feel happy. Those are good things. But he says if, if that's all the gospel is, then it really has no distinction from the cults in the world. If it's just a little happy fire in your belly, what's the difference between Christianity and Mormonism? Or Christianity and Jehovah's Witness? Or Christianity and uh, Islam? But we know that the gospel is much more than just a feel-good, become-a-better-person message. The gospel is about restoration. The gospel is about restoration not only of you as a person, but of the entirety of the universe. The gospel is about restoration. Christ came to restore the world. 
He came to do so by opposing the rule of Satan and asserting the rule and reign of his father. He does this with us by dealing first with our sin debt, died on the cross for our sins, right? He dealt with our our debt, but then he empowers us to live out of the new freedom that we have in this life that we have in him. So he doesn't just come saying, hey, do better, be a better person. He comes canceling our debt by pouring his own blood out for it. He paid it. He paid for it. And then, then he sends us the Holy Spirit to empower us. So not only is he giving us the way, he's providing every tool that we need. The gospel isn't just about becoming a better person. It's about being empowered to become an entirely new, fully restored person and to be a part of a restored world that God is working on. So it goes much deeper than what a lot of people think. It's not just your personal relationship with Jesus. That's part of it. But it is also our collective relationship with God and the world and everything being restored. That's really important. It's important for us to grasp that it's more than just me. Yes, I'm a part of it. But it's bigger than me. I need to know that. I need to know my faith is bigger than me if I am going to participate fully in what God is doing. And, 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 and I want to throw this out there. This is a statement that I think is really important. Mentally conditioned good behavior is a chore, but heart conditioned good behavior is a joy. Jesus wants us to have that kind of joy of a transformed heart that leads us to live in a certain way that then becomes a part of the chorus of all things echoing the glory of God. One thing I've, I've enjoyed most of my life is building with Legos. Can I get an amen? Anybody else? Lego fan? I mean, look, I'm not afraid to admit that I am a grown man who still plays with Legos. Amen. I bought my kids some Legos for Christmas. Really, I bought me some Legos for Christmas, you know. I was really excited to double our Lego collection when I, when I discovered a great deal on Amazon. And I purchased those Legos and I, I told my wife, you know, I, I said to Stacy, I said, We're, uh, I'm, I'm excited to buy these logos for the kids. She knew it right there. She says, you know, you're buying these for you. I'm like, yes, I am. Um, I, I really love playing with Legos. One of the first things that uh, right, right after we got married, she learned that I was still a grown man who played with Legos. Uh, when, when she was in our living room at our apartment and uh, a Lego spaceship that I built came flying through the hallway. And, uh, and, and I am not ashamed to admit that is true and I would still do it. I would still do it today. The thing about a Lego model is that every piece matters in the Lego model. Every piece matters, right? You can't get the whole model unless every piece is in place. The same could be true of a, uh, of a jigsaw puzzle. You ever finished a jigsaw puzzle or almost only to realize you were missing a piece? Like that thousand piece puzzle that you put together and you realize you're missing a piece, like that, that little piece that you're missing, that piece matters, am I right? It's not complete without it. And, and the Lego model isn't complete unless every piece is in its place. God has a great vision for the world that we live in. God has a great vision for the world that we live in. And he desires to build that vision with us and in us and through us. 
And unless each piece is in its proper place, we're going to continue to live in a broken world. See, that's the problem with the world, is, is as long as there's one piece that's out of place, one piece that doesn't proclaim his glory, we will never have a complete restored world. And so people wonder, why does, it, why does it matter so much to God that we worship him, that we glorify him, that we live in this certain way, this Christian way of living? Why does that matter to God? Why can't I just go live however I want and then expect that God's just going to take care of it at the end? Because so long as we are living out of sync with who God is and how he's designed this world to be, our world is always going to be broken. And to the extent that a society is filled with people who live for the glory of God, you have a good society. So it matters. It matters today, not just for the future. The natural order of all things is to worship God. His glory is at the heart of the universe. In fact, God's glory is the heartbeat of all creation. That's why there must come a day in which every knee will bow down to the Father and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not God being some egotistical, you must bow down to me. No, it is the order of all things. And so long as every knee is not bowing to the Father, things are out of sync and the world will be broken. God's goal is restoration. He wants this place to be good and how he envisioned it to be. It is God's grace that calls us to worship him. And all who are living in every place where there is a lack of true worship, in that place we will be living in opposition to the ultimate reality and truth in the universe. So you may ask, why does this matter? We just read this passage. How does this go with this passage that we read? Well, as we discussed last week, Jesus seeks to expose the inner brokenness in us so that we won't be deceived into thinking that all we need is to clean ourselves up externally to be accepted by God. In another place, in, in another place Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Why did he call them whitewashed tombs? He says, you guys, you guys try to look really pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of rotting corpses. And that's not holy. He says, you Pharisees, he says, you're like people who clean the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside of the cup dirty. You ever been to a restaurant and you looked at the cup and it was nasty inside? I, I'm sorry, I don't really care that much what it looks like on the outside, but if there's dirt and specks inside my cup, I'm going to send it back. Jesus says you're missing the point. That's what he was telling the Pharisees. You guys are missing the point. It's not about external behavior modification. It's about a heart change that leads to new behavior on the outside. We have to start in the right spot. And Jesus wants to start with the heart. Since sin is evidence of soul rot, as we established last week, we need all traces of sin, all traces of sin to be eliminated from within us. This means not only the acts of sin, the bad actions, but also the motivations for sin. Because so long as the motivations are still there, we're going to be led down those paths. This means... Uh, for us, God is looking for us to have heart alignment. Because heart level alignment is the only way to true freedom from slavery to sin. So I want to go back to a question that I had pointed out last week. The, I, I mentioned that the, the Puritans used to say this, Have you bought the pearl? Referring back to Jesus' parable of the pearl of great price. 
We remember this parable. I'll, I'll recap it again. I know I, I told it last week, but I'll recap it again so it's fresh for us. That Jesus says there was a man who was a dealer in fine pearls. And this man stumbled upon a pearl that was the most beautiful and most exquisite and the purest pearl he had ever seen. It was the most valuable pearl he had ever found. And Jesus says what that man did is he went and he sold everything that he had. He sold it all so he could buy this one pearl of great price because it was worth it. That one pearl was worth more than everything else that he had. The point Jesus is making here is clear. If we are not willing to sell out everything in our lives for the sake of the gospel, then we have not seen or have not understood the true and invaluable nature of the gospel. See, what, he, what he's saying to us is if, you, if you're walking through life and you're broken and you're living in this broken world, you're like that person who, see, who finds that pearl. When you discover the gospel, when it is revealed to you, you, for the first time with clarity, see what is actually beautiful in this world. And it's the glory of God. And our natural response to that, when our eyes are opened up to the gospel, is that we say, this life is just not worth anything in comparison to what I see in Christ. And we sell out. And that's repentance. Repentance is turning away from self and away from this world and towards Christ. So here in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verses 29 through 30, Jesus says some pretty radical and shocking things. But let's consider what he, what he means here. Because I think we'll discover that this is, more, this is about more than just adultery. Adultery is a sin. We know adultery is a sin. We know it's a sin to have an extramarital relationship. We know that. We know that it's wrong to have a marriage-type relationship for the sake of the children who are here. Adults, we understand. A marriage-type relationship when you're not married, right? We know that. But it's a lot deeper than the action. It's about the heart. So let's, let's just, I'm going to read this one more time, verses 29 through 30 specifically. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. I'm not going to ask you to show a raise of hands for this. But how many have ever had our eyes lead us to an improper thought? I mean, the reason I'm not going to have you raise your hands is because if you didn't, you'd be lying. And I don't want to, I don't want to you know, cause you to sin in that way. Um, and so uh, everyone... Everyone who's ever lived, our eyes have led us into sin. And, and Jesus says, if, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to lose a part of your body than for your entire body to go into hell. And, th and then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I could ask the same question, but we already know our hands have caused us to sin. Our feet have caused us to sin. Everything about us has gone into sin. Am I right? It just seems pretty radical for Jesus to say something like, well, if, if, 
if a part of your body causes you to sin, you should just chop it off and toss it to the side, right? But let's be clear that Jesus is using this sort of language to make a point. He's not advocating for self-mutilation. I feel like that needs to be said because there are some people out there who have, throughout history who have actually practiced self-mutilation as some, a way to get closer to God. And that's ridiculous. It's actually very unbiblical to do so. We know this from the context. I mean, Jesus is using this as an example. But we also know this from the testimony of the rest of Scripture. I don't have time to point out every passage, but I will just say in, in, there's several places in the Old Testament law where self-mutilation is very explicitly forbidden. Um, Leviticus 19.28 and Deuteronomy 14.1 both say that we are not to mutilate ourselves, not to cut ourselves. In the New Testament, we are told that we are not to act out of self-condemnation, but that we are to accept that the blood of Jesus is all the blood which ever needs to be spilled on our behalf. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. You know, you don't need to experience that kind of physical pain. Christ experienced it for you. Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 actually says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. In Paul's day, there were people who would say, cut yourself, you know, Drain the sin out of your life through blood. And Paul says, watch out for those people. Those are not people from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20 tells us we're to treat our bodies as a, as, as a, as a temple. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 tells us Jesus did everything necessary in his physical suffering and that you don't have to suffer. He already did it for you. That, that, this is kind of an aside, but I'm just saying it's important for us to establish. Jesus is not literally telling you to cut your hand off or gouge your eye out. That's important for us to know. So if he doesn't literally mean that we should cut off our hand or gouge out an eye, what does Jesus mean for us to do? I think he means that we should be so radical in our repentance, putting off the old sin nature and actively putting on the new nature that we have in Christ that it should resemble utterly cutting off a hand or gouging out an eye. If you cut your hand off, that's a pretty final thing, isn't it? You're not going to very likely be able to reattach it. I mean, there, there are some medical miracles where people were able to have a limb reattached, but most of the time, if you lose a limb, it's gone. It's final. You see the point Jesus is making here? He's saying, if, if you have come to me, I want you to cut your old sin nature off like that. He wants us to utterly kill our sin nature and every bit of residue that we see left behind. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. One thing that is a constant is it will come to your attention that there's a little bit of the residue of the old sin nature still left over. And, um, of course, the enemy will want to get in your head and say, look at you, what some kind of Christian you are. Still having a little bit of sin in your life after 20 or 30 years walking with the Lord. 
And that's not how Jesus wants us to respond, of course. He doesn't want us to respond in self-loathing or hatred towards self or self-pity. He wants us to take the next step forward towards him in that moment. See, I, they're, they're, of course, we know the enemy is the one who brings condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction that leads us to life. Big difference. So if I see my sin and I start to feel really bad about myself, that's probably not God, right? That's the enemy working in you, or it's your, your sin nature working in you. And the enemy's goal ultimately is to diffuse the power of God in your life so you'll be ineffective. So he brings your sin up and he says, well, you're pretty worthless as a Christian, aren't you? Anybody ever feel that way? When, right? Say, oh, I've been walking with the Lord most of my life and I still have this thing I can't quite get over. Just keeps coming back. Jesus says, here's what you do. You cut that thing off and you throw it away. And you don't give it any power in your life. I know it's easier said than done. But here's the point. Scripture tells us, right, in Galatians chapter 5, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You ever think that maybe it's not as much about what you're cutting off as it is about what you're putting on? Yeah, we have to kill, we have to kill the, the sin nature because it's like a virus. I'm sick of hearing about viruses, aren't you? I mean, we, we've been in this global pandemic. It's ridiculous, and then the entire state froze. It's just been a weird year. But the thing about a virus is as long as you have one particle of the virus, it's not eradicated. It's got to all be gone. Or it'll linger. The sin nature, like a virus, has to be entirely eradicated. You know, I, I know people who have had to go back for three or four COVID tests because they keep testing positive. Well, I'm not sick anymore, but I'm still positive and I might still be contagious because there's still virus. We're looking for the time when it's gone. And in the same way, I'm looking for a time when the sin in me, the sin nature, is gone. Are you looking forward to that? Actively? Now, now the, the key is it's got to be an active pursuit. We, God is not looking for us to just passively sit and say, Oh, Lord, here I am, still wrestling with this sin. I just can't wait till Jesus comes back. And then I can be the person that you, that you saved me to be. I mean, that is true. When Jesus comes back, we know we are going to be right in every way because he's going to fully restore us. But he is not looking for us to just wait until then. He's looking for us to actively pursue holiness and righteousness today. Jesus has already dealt with our guilt on the cross, as we've established. That part is done. Now the Holy Spirit seeks to help us to live lives consistent with those who are free from sin. But you aren't free from something so long as it hangs around. Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But you are no longer a slave to sin. If you're in Christ, you are free from sin. If I have bad garlic breath, <clears throat> which happens sometimes, I, 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 
I like stinky food, okay? Um, Stacy is probably giving a big amen. Yeah, he likes onions, garlic. I'm an ogre. Okay, let's just be real. Um, if I have bad garlic breath, the solution is to brush my teeth. Yet if I miss a bit, or if I turn around directly after I brush my teeth and eat more garlic, I haven't dealt with the issue. It stays with me. And the same is true of the sin nature in us. Jesus wants us to, like, he, he's not looking for us just to get a cleansing and then just go, oh, man, thanks for that. I feel really good now, Jesus. All right, I'm going to go right back into my junk, but I'll see you next week. But that's how a lot of Christians live, right? No, Jesus is giving us this picture here. No, here's how you deal with the sin nature. You, you cut it off. And you don't go back to it. You cut it off so violently and so finally that it's not even there anymore to go back to. Now last week we talked about how Jesus doesn't just want to give us a nice new clean car on the outside. He wants to give us a new engine, right? Now installing a new engine in your car is pretty expensive, don't blow your engine up, kids. Change your oil. All right, all that stuff. Um, because a new engine is very expensive. Now, how foolish would it be to install a brand new engine and then put the old oil in it? Right? That wouldn't be very smart. But that's what it's like when someone receives Christ but doesn't actively, sin to, active, sorry, actively seek to cut sin out of their life. It's like putting a new engine in your car and then you put the old oil in that engine, the old, crusty, dirty, grody oil that has no lubricity anymore. Why would you do that? Here's the thing. Our habits have to change. The way we live our lives every day has to change if we want to persist in growing towards Christ-likeness instead of relapsing back into our sin nature. Because we have to train ourselves to think and act like Christ. This is why Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Am I right? Out of Romans, Paul says you are to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Why? Paul understood that in order for you to live the new life, you don't it's not just about getting rid of the bad stuff. It's about putting in the good stuff. Those two go hand in hand. I got to make choices which give me the best opportunity to avoid falling back into my old temptations. I've counseled with many men who had sexual addictions. Most of them never fully committed to, to the point of doing anything physical. But they would look at things they shouldn't look at on the internet. Or they would have these emotional attachments that were improper. And Jesus says that that is just the same as doing the physical act. Right? Because it's already been, it's in your heart. It's already there. So, so my advice to these men has often seemed pretty harsh because I've, I've often said, hey, if this is a real issue in your life, maybe you need to get rid of your phone or your computer or get rid of your internet or have a partner on your emails. Get rid of your social media accounts. I'm bringing this up because I've seen a lot of this. But here's the thing. Whatever your pet sin is, 
whatever the sin pattern you find yourself falling into, we each must seek to cut the sin cancer out of our lives. Even if it's radical, your friends may look at you and be like, wow, you're a weirdo. You deleted your Facebook. Why? Well, I deleted my Facebook because I keep getting sucked into these stupid political conspiracy theories and I just can't stop. Can't help myself. And it's causing me to sin. And so I love Jesus more than I love Facebook and the way this makes me feel. I got rid of my, my laptop because I can't stop looking at inappropriate things. I don't have self-control. I need, a, I need a long break from this stuff to give the Holy Spirit room to move in me so I can be fully restored into the way that Christ wants me to be. Do you understand? Sometimes, not, not just sometimes, always, if we want to see radical change, we have to make radical changes. I want to say that again. If you want to, to see radical change in your life, you have to make radical changes. And sometimes those are physical things that we have to get rid of to cut out temptations so we don't go back to sin. But then, but again, it's not just about cutting the thing out. It's what are you replacing it with? Because Cutting the, the, the wickedness out alone isn't going to help us. If we want to have true victory, we've got to replace what we cut out with more of God. Jesus satisfies. The more time we spend with Jesus, the sillier our pet sins start to look. the less we want to engage in our sin patterns because we come to see that they're never going to give us the sort of satisfaction that walking with Christ gives us. Our sin leaves us empty. It gives us a high for a minute, but then it leaves us empty. And we always want more, and it's never enough. But Jesus is enough. Here's the thing. We are training our minds to see the truth rather than the lies that we have been brought up in as sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. The world has been selling you a road to happiness that is selling you short. And Christ is offering you for free a pathway to righteousness and joy. Are we walking down that road? The closer we are to what is true, the more we can see what is false and deadly to our souls. So the ultimate consequence, Jesus says here, he says, well, he, he uses that four-letter word, hell. It's not a very popular word in today's world. People don't like to talk about this. You realize Jesus talked about hell far more than he talked about heaven. Why? Because he... he well, he doesn't want you to go there, that's why. <laughs> he wants you to avoid this. People often think of hell as being scary because there's fire or physical suffering there. And that's true, those things are mentioned in Scripture. But it isn't what makes hell truly scary. Hell is a place where God allows people to live out the full intentions of a broken and sinful heart. 
He allows them to fully embrace slavery to sin, to fully go down that road, and he removes his grace fully so the fullness of the consequences of sin can come. It is the tree of life after eating the tree of knowledge and rebellion. It's what God tried to stop Adam and Eve from doing in the garden. Remember how he kicked them out of the garden? He kicked them out of the garden because he said, I don't want you to stay like this forever. I want to give you a chance to be saved. So in that sense, death for them was actually life. He was trying to save them from an eternity separated from his goodness. Hell is everything that we fear, but we probably don't realize it. By the way, do you realize he's still protecting us today just like he did Adam and Eve? Just as in heaven, we see sin erased and grace in full bloom. In hell, we see grace erased and sin in full bloom. It's the exact mirror opposite of what heaven is like. And it's the world exactly as the sinful human heart envisions it without the checks and balances of God's goodness. What makes hell scary isn't so much physical suffering. It's the absence of God's grace. And we don't realize how much God's grace is tempering this broken world today. What Jesus wants you and I to realize is that no matter how much we think we want our sin nature, it's not worth it. No matter how much you want to sin, no matter how much you want to go back into that world and, and you think, wow, if I could just, you know, maybe relive my crazy, rebellious teenage years for a little bit, that'd be a lot of fun, you know? If I could pull off a James Dean for a little bit, boy, that'd be a lot of fun. And, and honestly, whatever satisfaction we seek in this world, it's never going to give us what we have in Christ. And it's not worth it because here's why. If God allowed us to follow our sin to its, to, to its ultimate end, that is hell. It's separation from him. And it's not how he designed us to be. He designed us for heaven and to be full of his grace and mercy and goodness. And it, it's just not worth it to go the other way. It will kill us. It will make an ultimate end of us all. And we will lose out on everything good and we'll be left with nothing but the worst part of us. It's better, even if it's painful, even if it feels like cutting off a part of you, to cut out your sin nature and throw it away than it is to fall into ultimate spiritual rot which will be irreversible. So what do we do? I realize these, these are not, like this is not the passage you turn to when you're writing an article for chicken soup, you know? Like this, these words are kind of hard. But understand that it's, as scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? God is your best friend. You may not even know it. God is your best friend. And Jesus loves you more than anyone could ever possibly love you. And the reason why he says something so hard like this, where, where he says, hey, you just got to cut off your sin nature, even the stuff you like about it, even though it hurts, 
You just got to cut it off. The reason why he says this to you and me is because he wants us to experience true life. Adultery begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. All sin begins in the heart, and then it comes very naturally to people who have broken hearts, who are far from God. James even says, don't say that God tempted you. Don't even, by the way, don't even say the devil made me do it because the devil didn't make you do anything. When the devil tempts you and you follow him, you're just doing what you wanted to do. He just gave you a suggestion that you liked. The path towards overcoming is the daily practice of repentance and belief in Jesus. We must daily, in every moment, and I think we probably even better say in every second, actively choose Jesus and deny our sin nature. We've got to actively choose to cut off the old and put on the new. And as we do this, we'll fill our, we, 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 we've got to fill our hearts and our minds with prayer, with Scripture, with thoughts about God. It's so much better to lose your sin nature than to lose your entire self one day apart from Christ. Listen, Jesus loves you and I too much to allow us to run down that road. He came to deliver us from a really sad future. He died to forgive us. He rose to empower us. And now we have all we need. He's given it to us by his grace. All we need to move forward with him. So the question I want to ask you and the question I'm asking myself, hopefully we're asking ourselves these questions daily. What am I going to do with my next moment? Can I ask you that? What are you going to do with your next moment? What are you going to do with the rest of today? You have opportunities to deny your sin nature and to walk with Jesus. You're going to have opportunities to sin today too. The the devil knows you. Your sin nature knows you. You're going to have opportunities to make bad choices today. But you're also going to have an opportunity in every, look, in every opportunity to make a bad decision, to make a sinful decision that is also an opportunity to make a holy decision in Christ. Because every time that we choose Jesus and we follow the Holy Spirit, we walk with the Holy Spirit, that is a step towards the kingdom and away from the kingdom of darkness. Towards the kingdom of God and away from the kingdom of darkness. We have an opportunity to walk with God today and tomorrow and the next day and to be intentional. And I think that's what God wants from us is intentionality and willingness to kill the sin nature and walk with him. And I truly believe that's ultimately what Jesus is talking about when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's making a point that we have to be radical about getting rid of sin in our lives or we'll never get rid of sin in our lives. He wants to change your heart and mind. Let's pray. And I want to have uh, Pastor Dwight or Pastor Richard, if either of you have any thoughts, um, have you come and, and, and share those. Father, we, 
We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. And Lord, we thank you that you continue speaking to us and you continue leading us. And Lord, we know that all these things are for our good. I know that sometimes we open up the scriptures and we read it and it just punches us right in the gut. But Lord, we know that faithful are the wounds of a friend and you are such a good friend. And you've been so good to us to not leave us where we are and to show us the pathway forward. And so, Father, I want to pray that you would empower us, help us as your followers to actually do this, to actually actively pursue you while we're putting away our sin, to cut off the sin nature, to cut off what causes us to walk into sin patterns and to run headlong into Christ with everything that we are. We want to be a pure and holy people just like you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. If God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.